Hey everyone, this is Josh, and welcome back to The Listening Room. Listen to what the flower people say. Episode three of the Listening Room. It's good to see you again. Glad you could be here. Could sit down or not. I don't know. Maybe you're at work listening to this and you can't sit down. It doesn't matter. Just uh, enjoy your time here. Gosh, I'm really bad at openers. But uh, anyways, I do have a note from the last couple episodes. I said in our first episode that the Amory Wars was a five-part, six-album series. And and I got that completely wrong. Uh, I feel really stupid. Because uh, as you probably know from these episodes, I really like Coheed and Cambria, and I should know better than this. But I misspoke. There are actually only five albums. It's four parts. The fourth part is split into two albums. Uh, and then the prequel. So that's a total of five albums, not four. I've also uh, made a decision. My wife actually suggested to me this, and uh, because she's smarter than me, I agreed with her. Um, I'm actually not going to go through all of Coheed's discography in one long series, after all. They've put out eight albums, and the first album took me two episodes. This album may take me two episodes. You can probably tell by the length of the... It doesn't matter. This might take two episodes. The next album will more than... I mean, I'm like 90% sure that it's going to take two episodes, because that's a huge album. The album... You know, it doesn't matter. It's going to take a long time to go through uh, Coheed's discography. So... I've decided to throw in some other albums as well. I think, um, I don't want to get too obsessed. I, I, I am obsessed with this band. They're my favorite band. But um, I, I don't want this show to be a one-trick pony. I don't want to just continue uh, heaping praise on this band and not talk about any of the other bands that I like. Because the whole point of this podcast is to really listen to my music. And that doesn't just mean the albums that I've heard multiple times because I love them. So what I've decided is I will do a Coheed month, which means four episodes on Coheed, whether that's just the first two albums is yet to be seen. But, um, you know, come along with me on this journey. Why not, right? You have time on your hands or not. But I will, um, I, I actually already have an idea of the next two albums that I'm going to do um, after Coheed month. And they are from drastically different genres, just to show uh, that it's not just Coheed here in the listening room. Yes, there's a lot of Coheed. I'm starting with Coheed, but that's not all we're going to listen to here. So I'm sure I'll bring up, well, we'll have more Coheed months in the future, but uh, we're going to cut it off. 
and leave them behind for now in a pool of their own blood, like a festering wound. Sorry, I was trying to channel Claudio there. All right, Josh, lame joke. Anyways, in my research for this episode, um, Wikipedia actually turned me on to something that I thought was pretty cool about uh, this band and the style of music that they play. Wikipedia says that the style of music that this band writes, it generally write, they generally write in terminally climactic form. I'd never heard that before, so I went ahead and clicked on that link. And uh, it looks like that was a term that was coined here recently in a research paper. I couldn't read the entire research paper because I didn't want to pay money to read it. But basically what terminally climactic form is, is that, I'm reading this here right from the website, uh, this form, which appears frequently in rock songs after 1990, it's characterized by the balance between the expected memorable high point, generally the chorus, and the thematically independent terminal climax, the song's actual high point, which appears only once at the end of the song. I thought that was pretty cool. And the more that I've listened to these albums and picked apart the way that uh, Claudio writes these songs, I do see that time and time again, that terminally climactic form. All right. So today we are jumping into the second album by Coheed and Cambria in Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3. This album was released on October 7th of 2003 through Equal Vision Records. Now, if I recall, they had gotten upstreamed to Columbia Records pretty soon after this release, and so technically there was a re-release of the album, but it was similar. I I couldn't find any uh, information on that in the internet, which was surprising because I thought that was the case. Um, My copy of this album is the Equal Vision Records copy, not the Columbia Records copy, so I don't know if there were any changes, but in my recollection, there weren't. The band here has the same lineup as the first album, Claudio on vocals and guitar, Travis on guitar and also some vocals, Mike on bass and vocals, Josh on drums, vocals, and piano. For this album, I was able to do a little bit more... um, research, I guess. I own the comic book that is based on the story that Claudio is trying to tell with this album, so I understand more of the story. But again, like with the last album, I don't want to just... um, I don't want to give you the entire story. I don't think you need the entire story to enjoy it. Feel free to research that on your own time. I don't want to bog down this already long-winded podcast uh, with details on what every line represents in the story. But I will bring it up. Obviously, it's a big part of it, um, just to give you an idea of what Claudio is talking about. Like with the previous album, there is lots of death, and there are lines in this album that are particularly grotesque. And so you have to understand that he's telling a story. It's in the middle of a war. And so these lines are not prescriptive. They're not telling you to go out and do these things. They're simply saying what these characters have done. Kind of like in uh, the Bible, in the Old Testament, where you see wars and you see people killed en masse. The Bible does not tell us 
to kill your enemies. In fact, it says the exact opposite, but it does tell stories of times when those things occurred. Not that this story is like the Bible, but I, I think there's a little bit of a parallel there with the, uh, the type of storytelling. And I just wanted to reiterate one more time that these albums are the soundtrack to the story. They don't necessarily tell the story. Um, there are some things on the songs that are hard to pick up on. You're not sure exactly what they're talking about. Basically, these songs are not going to narrate the events of what's going on in the story. It's more like a soundtrack describing the events in the story, but not even necessarily sequentially. It just gives you the overall flavor of what's going on. And speaking as someone who's read the comic book, there are even details in there that seem to be glossed over, that seem to contradict some of the words in the story. So, so different retellings can have different details. It's not a strict, detailed narrative. But Wikipedia does have another nerdy sci-fi intro to the story, so I'll read that off to you here. Ten years after the second stage turbine blade, Claudio emerges from the depths of Shylos 10, the fence's quiet planet where the Red Army performs its brutal interrogations and imprisonments. In finding out that his entire family has been murdered, Claudio begins his quest for vendetta. His foes, Supreme Trimage Wilhelm Ryan and General Mayo Deftenwolf, sense that he's still alive and holds special powers. They know they must stop him before he defeats them. Meanwhile, Inferno, Jesse Kilgannon and brother to Coheed and Cambria, takes up arms against the Red Army in an effort to seek the same kind of vengeance on him. In Claudio's reemergence, he teams up with Ambelina, the prize who's selected by her peers to be his guide. The pair, along with Sizer, a disassembled iRobot, seek out Inferno to find answers as to why his family were killed. But their plans take an unexpected turn in a ship called the Camper Valorium and a freighter pilot named Al the Killer. Okay, I think this intro has gone on long enough. Let's start off with track one, The Ring in Return. The Ring and Return is another intro track like they did on their previous album. It's just an instrumental uh, preparing you for what the album has. Already, we can hear that it's a bigger sound than the last album. There's the rolling timpani. There's that uh, probably it sounds like a synthesized choir there in the background. It's trying to sound big and epic to get you ready for the story. The track is played with a bigger orchestra as opposed to the one piano on a vinyl intro and outro from the last record. So they're just expanding upon what they've previously done. The melody is actually the outro of Everything Evil off the last record. Now, listening to the full track, it starts out with someone walking, and then you hear a phone call, and you hear a woman pick up the phone. At the end, you hear a man say, Hello, Apollo, where should I begin? Now, I'll be the first to admit, these are not the best voice actors in the world. They're, they're kind of bland. I wish they would, you know, redo it to show a little bit more emotion. But um, 
what this is signifying is that years have gone by since the end of the previous album and the start of this album. So Claudio is a lot older. He's secluded himself from the rest of the, uh, well, universe, I guess, the rest of the galaxy for the sci-fi story. Anyway, he's gone into hiding, and uh, this is him calling to see if his previous girlfriend is still safe. So you hear her walking, you hear the phone ringing, you hear her picking up the phone, and he hangs up the phone because he doesn't know how to talk to her. Um, and he, in the comic book, he's actually right outside her house when he calls, and the dog is there, Apollo. And so he starts talking to Apollo and going over everything that's happened with the dog. And so the narrative is set up that this is a this is a retelling of events that have happened since the previous album, and it is Claudio explaining it to uh, Nuo's dog, Apollo, what's going on. So you've got this album, which is the soundtrack to the story that one of the characters is telling a dog. Does that make sense? I think at the very end of the song also, you hear just kind of this ominous rumble. To me, it almost sounds like it's an airplane flying overhead. So it gives you this picture of where these people are in the stories, especially we'll see with the next song with one of the resounding lines in that song, man your battle stations, you can almost hear, you can see this huge uh, airship flying above you getting ready for this huge war. song on the album, the title track, In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3. Now, right from the beginning guitar line, you can hear the difference from the last album and this album. If you listen real closely, there's a nice roomy reverb and a slight delay to thicken up that guitar line and to fill the entire space. When you hear it, it sounds like it's being played in a room, in a stadium. You can hear the air around you moving more so than just like if you had your ear up to an amp. Travis's guitar line comes in, that Ebo guitar playing a, a line over Claudio's, and then Josh fills in the groove there. It kind of grows gradually, and it starts feeling a little bit like Time Consumer, the first uh, full track off their last album. And they do this a bit, and it grows a little bit, and then the distorted guitars come in. They're still a little bit fuzzy, but they're a lot more um, chunky on this album. They fit into their place better. They're compressed more, so they have their spot that they're going to stay the entire song. Even the palm mutes, they're nice and compressed, so that that chugging palm mute there is the same volume as the lead lines that are being played. These guitars sound huge. It's this nice wall of guitar sound. Uh, they sound really big, and they're still leaving room for you to hear the other instruments. You can hear when the vocals come in that there's a nice reverb, a slight delay on the vocals as well, again, to really fill the whole space to make it feel like there's this huge epic story. Uh, this is a big song. 
you can hear it on the drums as well. There's a, a good amount of reverb on that snare. The drums are a bit different with this album. If you notice, the cymbals are not as loud as the rest of the kit. Even the hi-hats are louder than the cymbal crashes themselves. This is uh, more of a modern sound. A, l a lot of drums, uh, when you listen to more modern pop music, they are engineered this way. It's generally, uh, you know, more jazz type songs where the kit is the volume of what you'd hear when you're just hearing a drummer. Cymbals are pretty loud compared to the rest of the kit, but in, in most music, you don't hear the cymbals as much. They're more of a, a, a ringing, a crashing sound, but what you really want to hear is the kick and the snare and the hi-hat, and that's what it sounds like on this song. Back to the vocals, they definitely sound more produced, more finished, more done than the previous album. They're not as raw, as I said multiple times on that last one. Um, the harmony vocals, they're nice and tight, and they emphasize certain lines. If you listen to when they come in and when they go out, it doesn't necessarily sound like two people singing. It sounds like almost like an effect that they're putting on the vocals to bring out certain lines. Even the yelling vocals, the screaming vocals, they just seem to fit better than they did on the last album. That Where they start and where they stop really uh, locks in with Claudio's main vocal line. With the chant in the chorus, man your own jackhammer, you can hear like six people singing that line. But Claudio is still at the helm. He's still front and center to this entire mass of people saying the line. I mentioned on the previous album that they like to work in extremes with their guitar work. Not so much here. There's definitely uh, lots of different colors with their guitar, whether it's a little bit of reverb and delay and distortion and, and whatnot. They're all pretty affected guitar lines to, to really, again, fill the space. This sounds like a huge song. And in the context of the story, the a war is going on. These two factions are meeting. Uh, man, your own jacket hammer man your battle stations uh they're killing death is going on around them it's supposed to be a huge song uh it reminds me of the movie gladiator in the coliseum you know there is death and destruction going on and you're rooting for one side and you're chanting for your life and you really get the feeling of that from these choruses you know there was a synth line on time consumer off the last album and there's a synth line in this song as well, except when the synth comes in around the uh, 5 minutes, 45 second mark, it's a lot more subdued. When it came in on the last album, the synth was front and center, and that was the instrument they wanted you to hear. This is more of a pad coming in. It's still prominent. You can still hear it pretty well, but it's not taking over the melody. It's really brought out more at about the seven minute mark, but even then, the guitars are still one of the main instruments. They're just playing something that you've heard before, so your ear is naturally inclined to hear something different. The song, again, is very dynamic. It uses that um, form that we talked about at the beginning of the episode to where it builds and builds with its different parts. Now, it still ends with uh, the chorus, so I guess it's not terminally climactic, but it continues to build throughout the multiple parts of the song. That last chorus has lots of effects on the vocals. You can hear this kind of almost evil-sounding vocal for the last chorus. 
as again it says, man your own jackhammer, man your battle stations. While the background vocals are just chanting O's, so you really feel like you're in the thick of it. This song is eight minutes long, and it really doesn't feel like it to me. That is quite a feat. I think it really has to do, again, with the way that the song was written in the multiple parts and the places that the song goes. It returns to the chorus multiple times, but it never feels like it's worn out. They continue to add instrumentation and harmonies all throughout the song in order to make it feel different, to make it feel fresh and new, and it feels like a really cohesive song. It doesn't sound like multiple parts string together, even though um, there's a section in the middle of the song that's completely different that never repeats. The lyrics, again, are about this war that's going on. So it's uh, Jesse, or Inferno, who is fighting against uh, Mayo Deftonwolf, and their two armies are clashing. That's the main gist of the song, the main idea from the choruses. Man your own jackhammer, man your battle stations, we'll have you dead pretty soon. Sincerely written from my brother's blood machine, man your own battle stations, we'll have you home pretty soon. So here, even in the chorus, home is a metaphor for dying. These creatures that were bred for battle find death to be a place where they're at ease. The first verse kind of zooms out and gives you this picture of the battlefield. The restless children sit and mourn the graves of those they've never seen before. Will they be buried here among the dead in the silent secret? So even at the beginning of the song, it's, it's predicting the aftermath of this battle and the casualties that are going to come of it. We hear in one of the pieces of the songs where it brings the music down about one warrior in this battle who is fighting for Jesse's sake, who's fighting for Inferno's sake, and it explains his relationship to him and how he wants to make him proud. Even in the most extreme sense, the lyrics say, For you, I'd do anything just to make you happy and hear you tell me that you're proud of me. For them, I'd kill anything. Cut the throats of babies for them. Break their hearts, for they were them. Waiting for you to say, I love you too. Now, it makes more sense to me that maybe that was someone on the uh, enemy's side saying that they're willing to murder babies in cold blood. But the overall idea is that we have this warrior, this person, again, bred for battle, who is seeking something more. The outward appearance is one of anger and of violence and one just killing the enemy and focused on that. But really, the entire reason that he's doing that is for acceptance. He wants to be known he wants someone to love him for the actions that he's doing. He wants someone to tell them that they're proud of him. In a way, that's pretty sad, but 
but how often do we do that? How often do our actions, do our outward actions um, dictate what other people think of us? And how often do we find ourselves driven by what other people think, even to the point of doing something extreme? So this song, obviously, it's exaggerated because it's in the middle of a war. There's blood, there's guts, there's dying children, there's, there's children mourning graves. But the overall idea is really this longing to have someone to love you and to be proud of you and to feel like you're actually doing the right thing and you have purpose. Maybe I'm reading into it too much, but um, I I really love this song, and I think it does have you know a, a pretty good beyond the story. It has a good narrative that it's telling to real people. You can sense the emotion that Claudio shows in the song. And with that, we will move on to track three: cuts marked in the march of men. <laughs> So this song is almost like a continuation of the previous song. There is almost no introduction. It's a lot more direct. Uh, there's not as much reverb on things like in the previous song. It's It doesn't sound like a big arena rock song. I mean, the guitars are still that, that wall of guitars. They're still in your face. It's just in a different way. There's not as much chanting and there's not as much air to the song. Like in most of Coheed's songs, the guitar is the main instrument, but listen to what's going on. I mean, there's some strums in the left ear for emphasis. There are way more than just two guitars going on here. In the left ear, you hear some strums for emphasis while the, the main riff is being played, but there's a lot more instrumentation that's added where it can fit for a fuller sound. I can pick out at least four different guitar parts. Listen to this. Now, the drums in the song for the verses, it does sound fairly simple. It's just following the guitar's pattern, but the pre-chorus is where they are let loose. Um, it almost doesn't sound like he's keeping time, but he's just playing a series of different riffs to complement the song's direction. And this is pretty cool, too, because the guitar part and the drum part are not static. They're constantly moving. And to layer a vocal line that's longer than the instrumentation line together over the instrumentation repeated is really interesting to me. Basically, what I'm saying is as a songwriter, I would probably not be creative enough to write that vocal line that Claudio wrote over the guitar line that he wrote because the guitar line is way too complicated and is only half as long as the vocal line. Now, speaking of vocals, the harmony vocals really add to this song, especially at the choruses and the, the pre-chorus here. 
again, they're really used to draw out specific lines and specific phrases so that it never sounds boring. There's something being emphasized. There's something new for your ear to lock onto at each part of the song. The lyrics on this song also follow similarly to the previous song. This is still in the middle of this battle that's going on. This song focuses more on that warrior from the first song and his perspective on what's going on. Um, There are lines here like, is God's work to have us fail? Not sure if what he's doing is right. Um, You can see just the gore that's going on in lines like this. Rivered blood streams out the dead as bodies foul the air. And slowly the streets begin to fill with new flesh bound to bone. Quite a way with words. It really gives you a mental picture. I mean, you can almost smell the scent of blood over this song. It's, It's definitely gory. But this song takes a turn. It's in the middle of the war, but it also shows that the focus is not just winning the battle, but protecting someone on their side. This girl, Chase. There are lines like, You're the answer to their prayer, and the one that you had loved in dreams is here among the others. Chase, it's you I want. I need you now more than I ever did. I'll hand myself over for you. Take me instead, I'd rather not see her off alone. So in the context of the story, Chase is this warrior's younger sister. Um, They're both robots and they both have special powers. Of course, it's a sci-fi story. Why not? But this song shows their relationship and how this war, his name is Sizer, how he is also fighting to protect her. And eventually, at the end of the song, he hands himself over. He gives himself to the enemy so that she would be protected. Which is pretty cool. This character is is deep. He's not just a one-dimensional warrior, but you see him with his doubts in fighting this war. You see him trying to seek approval. And then you also see him wanting to protect those close to him. And then you see towards the end of the song, there's this line, deliver a favor for my love. Now, I hear that as coming from the enemy's side when when this guy is captured. Deliver a favor for my love. Deliver this guy that we've captured to our leader. So it's contrasted the love that Sizer has for his younger sister Chase against the love that the enemy general has for his leader. Sizer's love is one of protection and one that would seek the good of Chase, whereas the enemy general Mayo's love is one that's willing to take the enemy prisoner. And as we'll see in the next song, it gets even more gory. Um, it's The next song is basically a torture scene. So let's go ahead and jump into that now that I've given away what it's about. <laughs> In the hand of where we drove the drill A cautious ear to the mouth of your confession Think of all the things we put him through In the face of his God would he tell the truth Still recorded with Track four, three evils face. embodied in love and shadow Are you starting to see a pattern here? It seems like every time Coheed goes 
and tries to write a more catchy, upbeat, more pop punk sounding song, that it has to be one of the most gruesome things that they've ever written. We saw this with Devil in Jersey City on the album before, and now with this one, it's a nice, beautiful, happy song. You know, you get the oh, 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 at the end of the chorus. It feels like, uh, it feels like there should be gang vocals, like everyone join in and sing this nice song about torturing someone and severing limbs. It's, uh, it, it's, it's beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. Well, if I haven't said it enough before, I love a lot of Coheed music. I love this song. Um, it's great. Like I said, it's catchy. Uh, it just latches on. The melodies in this song, the vocal melodies are great. Um, it's a nice, simple guitar. Uh, it's interesting. You know, I think of this song, like I said, as kind of just a standard pop punk song. But... Um, it does actually follow that form that we talked about at the beginning. It it ends on the climax of the song. It just continues to gain ground. So it's not quite as simple of an arrangement as it seems like at first. An interesting note is that the screams at the bridge, they do sound similar to the screams on the previous album, just in tone. But with this album, you can actually kind of tell what they're saying while they're screaming, which is really interesting. And it's definitely subdued. It doesn't come out into the forefront like on the previous album. They they pull back on these screams. I don't know if maybe their producer just didn't like the screams on this album or what. What was going on, but they're definitely not out there as kind of the main vocal line. It's just in addition to it. They they let you know that these are background vocals. There's not too much to say about this song. It's really, you know, what you see is what you get. It's a nice, fun song. Um, like I said before, in, in typical Coheed fashion, the song crescendos with crashing drums, with an awesome guitar lead line, and multiple vocal melodies, with Claudio reaching higher and higher into his range. There is an outro to this song, and it took me a few listens to kind of get what was going on, but it does sound like it's raining. It sounds like someone is kind of digging around, it almost <laughs> the feeling of like a dumpster diver when they come upon um, this tortured body. Of it, It's a human, it's an android, a humanoid robot, but, uh, you know, there's blood and guts and machinery and all that beautiful stuff, and you hear this creepy scream as the track ends. So, the song's about torture. Um, just one look at the lyric sheet, and you will know exactly what this song is about. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Like I said, gruesome, bloody, beautiful. Sizer has just given himself over to protect Chase, and so now Mayo uh, has him down on the uh, dissecting table and is trying to get information from him. Here is the first verse in its entirety. Across the floor in the hand of where we drove the drill, a cautious ear to the mouth of your confession. Think of all the things we put him through in the face of his God. Would he still tell the truth? Still recorded were the words that dribbled out his kiss. When eyes go blind in this man of what could once become, sever the limbs off his torso in sleep, and burn what remains so the world may now see no longer will we wait for your answers. Back to the hell where you've come from, 
Think of all the times you've once had. Write them in a letter that says goodbye. Severing limbs, blinded eyes, drills going into hands. It's all, it's all lovely stuff here. One thing to note is at the very end of that verse, think of all the times you've once had, write them in a letter that says goodbye. Now, this is already twice in this album where they've talked about letters. In the title track, there's the line that says, written in my brother's blood machine. So letters appear multiple times throughout this album, and what I think it's symbolizing is the distance between the characters. Uh, Sizer here is pulled apart from his family, from the people he wants to impress and the people that he loves. So he's remembering those times, and it's his write him in a letter that says goodbye. This is the end for him, and he's separated from the people he loves. But luckily, since he is a robot... Death doesn't necessarily mean the end. Listen to the second verse. Slowly discarded were the remains of his lonely youth. Among the alley were the dwellers scared to notice. Picture a young boy in pieces and streets with leveled malfunctions. No name to be called Redeemer. I'll fix him. Restore him. With the love, if no other, think of all the things you did before. Write them in a letter that says, Reborn. So here, Claudio, the character, finds Sizer and decides to put him back together with love. It's contrasting the love that he didn't receive as part of the war with Claudio's character of finding him in pieces and loving him because Claudio didn't have a family. At the end of the song, the lyrics seem to go back in the story from before when he was rebuilt, when he was still on the table being tortured. It says, when will our nightmare ever end? Pull the trigger and the nightmare stops. Now, in the lyric booklet, there is a little parenthetical that says, these lyrics are part of a story and should not be taken literally. This was the first time I had seen that. But obviously, I knew that uh, Coheed and Cambria were not advocating suicide here with this song. But what I think it means is that it's a memory of this character that he could have ended himself. And in the middle of the torture, he could have killed himself. And then it would have done irreparable damage to him. But he is, in a letter, reborn, as it says in the song, through Claudio rebuilding him. So yes, it's a big, gory, grotesque song about torture, about death, but then it's also about rebirth. So if you pull away from the mythos of Coheed and Cambria, this is a song about being in a hopeless place, being in a place where you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, where you don't know if you're going to make it out alive or intact. And oftentimes you don't, but it does show that there is still hope that others can pull you out of the pit that you're in. And so with the end of the song being the crescendo, it just reminds us that even if you're in the middle of what feels like a nightmare and you have that option to pull the trigger, to end it all, that that's not going to work out for you, that the best option is to suffer through what you're going through and to persevere because you'll come out of it stronger. Again, maybe I'm reading 
too much into this sci-fi story, but I don't think so. I think even these truths, these truths are there, even if Claudio doesn't necessarily mean to put them in the story. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he does. Because ultimately, these songs that Claudio wrote are not simply serving a story, but they do have something to say about him and something to say about the human condition. And with that, we'll move on to track five, The Crowing. Now, before I play this clip, I just wanted to make sure that you're listening to this intro because there's so much here that I really like. First, you have your main guitar line that's the backbone of the song, and it's it's doubled so you can hear the harmonic differences at the end of each line in each ear if you're really listening closely. But then Travis comes in and he mirrors that syncopation, but he's playing chords that complement the main guitar line. And then the bass comes in and really fills out that melody. He kind of snakes around the melody and makes his own melody within that same syncopation while the drum accents really bring everything home. And I think so far on this album, I haven't brought out Mike's bass playing. And I apologize for that because he's a great bass player. It really, I think, shines in this song, especially with all the different parts um, where he finds his own little place to be um, that, like I said before, just fills everything out. It really gives you that growl, but it's constantly moving in between the syncopation that is there almost through the entire song. We see again that Claudio's writing style for the verses is pretty similar to what he's done in the past where he sets up the bed of music and then he sings what he wants to sing over it in a certain key. It's not always the same melody for each verse, but it is in the same key, so it still fits together really well, and it's still a nice catchy melody. It's just not the exact same for every verse, which is really interesting. The harmony vocals, again, are accenting certain lines. Um, if you listen at the end of verse 2, there are these this kind of chorus of O's singing over Claudio's melody. It really adds a bit more dynamics to a song that only really has two verses, but there are so many different parts to this song. After the second chorus, it really just goes off into its own thing and never returns back to that verse chorus it continues to progress through the entire song. And if you notice, it does still make reference to earlier parts, especially with the vocal melodies. The, those O's are sung towards the end of the song as well, when everything else has changed. The doubled guitars on this song really envelop the entire space. I mean, you can really hear those. As I've said before, it's kind of a wall of guitar sound. Um, but it's really cool because you can still hear each individual instrument. That that guitars are just the most prominent. And Travis's guitar seems to be there just adding color to the main, what I've said, the backbone of the song so far. I think after that second chorus in what I'll call the bridge, but probably isn't the correct term for what Coheed starts to go down in this song. Um, if you listen to the drums... 
Josh really starts crashing on the cymbals there. And again, those cymbal crashes are really pulled back compared to the rest of the kit. Uh, it just gives you this sound of things growing while it's not harsh and not overly loud. At the third part of this uh, bridge section, if we want to call it that, um, I really like the guitar work there. Um, it sounds like they start shredding over Claudio's singing, and I have no idea how Claudio can sing and play this guitar part at the same time. Uh, if you search YouTube, you can even find an acoustic rendition of the song where he does just that, uh, and it amazes me. Again, we see the band playing with dynamics constantly. Like I said, there are multiple different parts. What I have written down here is that it's the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, then this bridge section where there's three different parts of the bridge. Then it goes to a breakdown before it builds, and then it tags through two different parts, and then the crescendo where you have multiple melodies over crashing drums and multiple guitar lines as well. The melodies at the very end of the song, I love it. It's at least three different vocal melodies going on, each with their own harmonies. So at least six different singers singing lines here in the song. I love it. I think this song is quintessential Coheed with the way that it pushes um, the prog aspect of the band while still retaining lots of great melodies. You don't realize how long the song is. You don't realize how many different parts there are, are because it all catches your ear. It's all It all has a hook to it while still being very progressive. This is, without a doubt, one of my absolute favorite Coheed and Cambria songs. Now, I know I said I wouldn't get too deep into the story with this album, and yet, so far, I think I've brought up the story in every single song. Um, I, I don't think that'll continue with the rest of the album, but we'll, we'll see as we keep going. To make a little bit of sense of what's going on here, the crowing is basically a term for a savior of this impending evil in the world. Um, as I've said before, in between these past two albums, when the story comes into play, Claudio has gone into hiding. Well, in this song, he's being told that he is the crowing, that he's the savior. Let's look at the lyrics here in verse one. I've fed the clues of a lost day killed in motion, but I thought of it so like there's no other way it could have been done. Will they size my fit for a puzzle I wish not to play part in it? A heart stained in hate, a feeling I fear will play circles. This verse talks about the time that Claudio has wasted in between the um, story that's going on here. But it also makes an interesting note that it couldn't have been any other way, that even though he was in hiding, even though he separated himself from the events of the world at large, it changed him in a way that he can't go back, in a way that he has continued to grow, even though he's pushed himself away. And then, of course, the idea of being told that he is this great character when he's been in hiding this whole time. Can he really do what they say that he's destined for? He expands upon this in verse 2. It says, I severed my ties to shroud this body under the streets of this city and wait for the day when I'm summoned to walk across the face. Will slowly but clearer now in visions that play and plague memories. I love them with all as a son should to mother and father. Claudio's family is dead at this point. He's got some extended family, but his parents are dead in particular. And their ghost still haunts him. 
even as he's pulled himself away, they continue to be on his mind and push him forward, even when he doesn't want that push. It says that they plague his memories. So you have this sense of him being angry, of him being displeased with them. But at the same time, that last line, I love them with all as a son should to mother and father. He still loves them, even though he saw them murder his brothers and sisters. There's still that sense of him that says they've made mistakes, but they're still my parents. And I know there's something more to this. So again, contrasted with this sense of he's the savior, he also knows where he's come from with his parents. And he loves them and he wants to make them proud, even though they're gone. We see that as the song goes on. Here are some lines. If given mistakes, would I take them back? If erasing them could, if erasing them would, and then, I've parted three ways for you, the nuo that I loved. So again, he's contemplating the mistakes that he's made in not continuing to push forward in his place in the world, but retreating into the back. But then, would he really trade what he's gone through to make him continually grow into the person that he needs to be? And then to add a third dynamic I've parted three ways for you, the nuo that I loved. So not only is he pulled between himself that wants to retreat, but also this prophecy that he's to be a great man, and then his parents and where he's come from, and the hatred and love that he has for them, and then also the love that he has for his girl, nuo. I think all this is really brought out well, again, with the layered melodies of this song and the way that the song progresses, that it shows the complicated nature of all of these things coming together with the technical complexity of the song. Musically, this song was one of my favorite Coheed and Cambria songs, but for this podcast, when I really took a look at the lyrics, um, I think it's lyrically one of my favorites as well. It shows the difficulties of trying to make your way in the world, and who do you want to please, or do you even want to please yourself, or what is your place, ultimately? And once again, I've gotten pretty long-winded with my review of this album, so I'm going to have to end it right here. But what a great place to end, right? I mean, The Crowing, it's one of my favorite Coheed and Cambria songs, so we'll leave it here and we'll pick it up with the next episode where I'm, I'm pretty sure I can finish off this stinking album in one more episode. So as always, if you have any questions or comments or suggestions, if you just want to contact me, uh, there are multiple ways you can do that. You can email me at listeningroompodcast at gmail.com. I've got a voicemail and text line that's 617-651-1116, or you can tweet at Broccolope. That's at B-R-O-C-C-O-L-O-P-E. Till next time, guys, remember, don't just hear, but listen. I will.